I've said this before, but I, I don't know who the man or woman is who decided to put stretch in men's jeans. A little bit of discreet stretch. Yeah. But I could kiss them on the mouth. <laughs> it just changed my life. Yeah. When you've got like thighs like hams. <laughs> Come on, Rob. It's not that bad. It's, yeah. It's, it's from cycling and just being a bit fat. Why am I talking about that? Well, I don't even get to say my own name. No, you. How? This is the first time. Is this the first time you've been on? You can say your own name if you want. I usually I'm doing say it like, my own name. No, you don't. You never do. It's always me. I do fucking everything. <laughs> well, I'm saying my own name. Okay, do it again. Right. This is Rob Cutforth and Kate Feld. That's lame. It's lame when it's like it just uh, it seems lame. It's lame when it's my voice saying my name. Yeah. You should, you're kind of, you're, it's better when you say my name and It's better the when the same person says both names. No. It's like BBC Breakfast. You know, they, when they say, they introduce themselves. Who cares? All right, just <laughs> get a grip, Just Feld. go, just go. Right. What have you been doing today, Kate Feld? Well, I had a meeting and yeah. I had um, personal training. Yeah, you, you dressed business casual for personal training? Well, no. I had gym clothes on, but... Those aren't in my car now. Right. Took those off and put my business casual clothes back on. This is like a bad um, Flight of the Concord song. <laughs> it is. <laughs> Go on, Rob, sing it for us. No. <laughs> the only part of that song. I, the only part of that song I remember is when he goes, "I'm putting on my business socks. <laughs> it's business time." <laughs> Do you have business socks? <laughs> no, I have really stupid socks. I'm like my midlife crisis. Can I see your socks? Is this if if these aren't the most midlife? I don't even know which ones they're on. I, I want to tell see, you. No, no, I they're already see your socks. the most midlife crisis socks you'll ever see in your life. Look, everyone, like I'm 16. On them. Well, those aren't so bad. They're actually cool, kind of tasteful. I like them. Really? Yeah. They're blue with like orange diamonds on them. I know, but this is a side of you I never expected. You this see, is, you know, it's like Paul this Smith, is what I like. You know, like it where you have you just it looks like normal, and then the inside pocket is a weird color. But see, there's no way anyone would ever see those socks. That's right. Wearing just high me. walking boots. Yep. With what are those charcoal jeans? Yeah. Over them. This is cool. Do you know what? This is. I'm not taking fashion advice from you, business what, casual. Do you like that? What, what are those? Charcoal? <laughs> yeah. They are, as a matter of fact, charcoal Levi's. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Right. It's the best. Yeah. Remember, today is your day. You have to be the shiny rainbow That's not unicorn. Okay. And I have do you know what? I will be the shiny rainbow bitch. unicorn. Yeah. Yeah. We can do that because we can totally do I'm that. in a good mood. Whereas I've just been, like, pounded to within an inch of my life at the gym, so I'm just, yeah. That doesn't count as, you can't, that's not something to be stressed about. I'm also, I'm not stressed, I'm just in a bad mood. Because you've, most people when they come out of the gym are like, yay, endorphins. No, this guy completely destroyed me. He was laughing at me at the end. He was like, oh, you're going to drink beer tonight, yeah? Mm. Enjoy that. Yeah. Because he knew that, like, I wasn't. I'm not. I'm not able to drink very much beer now. Yeah. I've been rendered unable. You've still not just told me why you're in business casual. But what is this meeting for? Is it, it's not some literature thing. No, it was a. It was a work thing. It was a uni thing. Oh right. Okay. Um, yeah, this is lame. And yeah, it's not interesting, which is why I didn't give you any more detail. Yeah. 
Um, and then I had some passport photos taken. Well, right. Also Excellent. not interesting. Yeah. Did you? Was it a machine or an actual human? It was a machine. Really stressful, having to line up your eyes inside the ovals and also make sure that your hair is out of your face and that you don't have any expression on your face. I know. That's the hardest part for me. I, I just think it's... I don't get why they're so strict about it. Why can't you have a smile? Because you might not look like yourself. Because this yeah. is Britain and nobody smiles. Because wow, the sun perfect. never shines. Yeah. So they might not recognize you if you're <laughs> smiling, right? Wow, you are the curmudgeon bitch today and I'm the unicorn. Yeah, you're the rainbow unicorn and yeah. I'm the curmudgeon bitch. Okay. You never asked me about my day, you know. Yeah, Every time we you do know this why podcast. that is, Rob. <laughs> I had an amazing day. I was moving content from one website to another one. <laughs> Listening to Hole. <laughs> oh, good choice. She, very uh, hugely underrated. Yes, Hole. totally, totally. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. Everyone just thinks, oh, it's Kurt Cobain's wife. No, no, wife. no. They're I awesome. to differ. Yeah. They are and completely bitchin'. This is like two old people talking music all of a sudden. I actually just said the word bitchin'. I know. We said, I think the word bitch has been said in, in different connotations now at least five times. <laughs> well, good. And I said it once. Yeah. Which is not very nice, is it? Good thing we're mates. I don't have any problem with that word. Really? Yeah, really. Okay. <laughs> it means many things. Yeah, I, re- I, re- I was really just about to use it again, but just because I can't help myself. <laughs> Um, yeah, and then, yeah, that, so that was what I was doing, uh-huh. and then I was just pushing refresh on Gmail, Sweet. looking for more rejections to come in, but there haven't been any. Yeah, because you submitted your novel. My novel, yeah. We, I should say to the listeners, this is our second crack at this intro because I was so depressed last time, and it was a total bummer on this intro because I'd sent the, my novel out and was just stressed to hell. Yeah, we decided to spike it because yeah. it turned into like essentially counseling. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it, but then I got a couple of good bits of good news, and I was like, now I'm yep. Captain Rainbow Unicorn. Right on. Yeah. Um, I, I, two bits of good news I can't talk about. I did tweet about it, and then uh, a proper author person said to me, "Don't tweet about." What agents say to yeah, you. Yeah, don't tweet about because, what agents say to you. Yeah. Not a they, good idea. It's not like I said the agent's yeah, name. Yeah, no, it's just, yeah, it's just not a good idea. Why? Because you kind of want to keep all that stuff. On like, the down low. Yeah, under your vest. It's really you know? difficult. It is difficult, especially when you're excited, but yeah. Okay. Like if, okay, I'm not saying this will happen, but if things go, you know. Tits up. Yeah. They, that will happen, but go on. Then you might feel like kind of an ass at some oh. point um, for being oh, open about it. Yeah. Well, um, I wasn't, wasn't going to do it a hundred times. I was going to do no, it No, I know. Time. But also, it's the agent themselves might think it's weird. Yeah. You know? Yeah. That's what kind of. Because it's not like, it's not just your essentially potential business transaction, it's also theirs. Mm. So you have to kind of. You know, that's all. Yeah. I would not be so open about it. No, I was only going to do one, and then I. Well, I did only do one, but yeah. I got in trouble for that even. Yeah. That's the good thing about this podcast. I have author mates looking out for me. Yeah. Which is That's quite right. good. Yeah. Um, what, <laughs> I just wrote this down. What did you do for World Poetry Day? Was that yesterday? It was. And do you know what? You did was, something poetry. Well, I did. I, I was going to tweet a poem, mm-hmm. but I've gotten really disenchanted with this whole thing of tweeting poems, even though it's great and has brought some great poems into my life. I just thought, uh, it's kind of 
it's like it's throwaway. Well, it's posery. It's like you are you are like displaying the act of being a writer or a person who reads poetry um, in a way that like I can't really be bothered to do anymore. Mm. So Twitter really lends itself to that, though, doesn't it? Totally it totally does. Um, and sometimes I get into it. If I read something I really, really love and just want everyone to know about, I will do that. But I'm not going to do it just because it's like a special day, you know? Yeah. So I used to do that, and I just got tired of it. So I decided to just read some poetry. No, that's pretty good. And I read, um, I read some pretty amazing poetry. I read Sharon Old's book, Odes which is great. She has odes to all sorts of things like blowjobs and, um, you know, random people whose name you, you, know, you don't know and just like weird things. They're, yeah. they're brilliant. Ode yeah. to a blowjob from written by a woman. Yeah. Wow. It's amazing and it has some incredible lines in it. Like, <laughs> I never really thought of it as a line of work. <laughs> Like, if she has this whole bit about taking her... Oh, gone. man, do we, do we want to go further with the go on? No, it's not, it's not filthy. Okay. It's just funny. It's okay. like, because it is. Why is it called a blowjob? I know. You know? Well, yeah. What's the... jobish about it? Oh, right. Like, you yeah. know? <laughs> There's not much blowing either. Anyway. No, it's true. So she comes around to that at the end of the poem. But no, it's honestly, it's a great poem. But the whole book is amazing. What's her name again? Sharon Olds. Sharon and Olds. It's her newest book called Odes. Right. Um, I think I've heard about this. Someone else has told me about it. Yeah, it's maybe it was just you telling probably me probably because she's one of the greatest poets in the world. Oh wow! So World Poetry Day, there you yeah, go. Yeah, very good. Yep. I moved content from one website to another on World Poetry Day and today. That, I don't really know how to respond to that because <laughs> it's not interesting. I know. Sorry. I didn't. What did realize you do for? You didn't do. I anything? didn't do anything because I, no. I found out about World Poetry Day today because. People are still tweeting about it, and I'm slow on the Twitters. And plus, who cares? I don't yeah. get it. Like, every day's got... Is there a day that isn't a day? Of no. Of some kind? Every day is a day now. Yeah. Every day is sometimes, like, seven different days. Yeah. And I, an increasing order of weirdness and obscurity. Yeah. Like, World Headphones Day. Yeah. Right? You're just saying that because you're looking at me wearing That's headphones. That's right. I, there, today actually is a day because I wanted to know, well, what is today then, just to, as a piss take? It's World Water Day. That's the lamest day ever. It's shit, isn't it? God, it's like World Air Day. I know. Maybe to us, you know, bourgeois, you know, Westerners who have it all, water and World air. Adams Day. Adams Day. Adams. Atoms. Atoms, yeah. The world, I'm just trying to think of something that's so ubiquitous, like you'd never even think about it. Day of the Comb. <laughs> Actually, I went to a great museum called the Museum of Everyday Objects. Did you and say museum? Museum. 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 Yeah. What did you? How, you said it weird before. Museum. Museum. Yeah. <laughs> That's just my accent. Okay, go on. Anyway, this museum of everyday objects is on this like on the side of a road in a garage in the Northeast Kingdom in Vermont, and they have exhibits about toothbrushes and pencils. And paper clips yeah. and stuff like that. It's great. Yeah. There's a um, there's a museum. I think it's in Canada somewhere in the West where it's all groundhogs and gophers that have been taxidermied and put into little coats. Really? And put guns in their hands and stuff. The Gopher Museum. That's what it is. The Gopher Museum. Okay, yeah. that sounds great. Yeah, I'd love that. 
Uh, yeah, not so much if you're, you know, an animal rights type person. Actually, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it is kind of wrong, but also, yeah. I want to see it. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's, we're all very good at statues as well as museums. There's a statue of a, a pierogi. Do you know what a pierogi is? Oh, I know what On a pierogi is. In Saskatchewan somewhere. There's a statue of a dustpan and broom in the Northern Corridor. Have you oh, ever yeah. noticed it? Yeah. Oh, is that from the after the day of the riot and people were cleaning up or something? No, no, no. It's been there for donkey's oh, nice. years. I think it's something to do with labor. I don't know. With labor? You know, oh, like, as in like cleaning up, not having yeah. a child. Yeah. Right, okay. It's <laughs> <was> like, what? <laughs> cleaning up after... <laughs> Unions, Rob. Unions. Oh, yeah, yeah. Those things. Oh, yeah. God, we can't talk about that. Okay. Because we both work at universities and it's a bit tense. All right. Change the subject. So yes. we were going to talk about um, inspiration. Yeah. Rituals. Yes, we're, we're doing this because uh, Rosie Garland is our guest, and she's the queen of self-motivation. I think, isn't she? She's the queen of everything. Yeah, about, the queen as of far many as I'm things. Concerned. But it, I, but I think in, the, in this podcast, she she talks about some many different ways to stay motivated and to, I suppose, avoid writer's block. Um, do you get writer's block? I've never had writer's block. No. Um, I don't either. I don't think I will. I get lazy I ass, though. Now. I get like, you know, I just don't feel like doing it. Yeah. Lazy ass. But if I ever if I sit myself down and start writing something, something Then you comes do out. it. Yeah. So you don't have writer's block. No. But I guess other people get it. I mean, I'm just, I think my problem is I'm real busy. So I can sometimes make myself so busy that I don't have time to write for a few days. Mm -hmm. and I don't like that. No. Um, but she's, the thing that Rosie talks about, and I think you do this as well, is morning pages, um, which is just basically writing something every morning, um, and just, just for the sake of it. And yeah. Probably throwing away 99% of it, just to keep the juices flowing. So morning pages is... The first time I heard of it was in connection with this book called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron. And The Artist's Way is, really there's nothing cool about it. It's pretty much like a self-help book for creative people who, you know, want to kind of reignite their creativity. Um, and it, it's sort of almost like a 12-step kind of program. It's quite weird. Mm. But one of the, but Morning Pages, I think, is from that. It's very popular. Um, and... It is actually incredibly useful. So the idea is you just, I think most people do it freehand with pen and ink. Rosie does. Yeah, I do too. And you just, so I do, I just free write for two or three pages. And you don't, the idea is you don't think about what you're putting down. You don't edit as you go. You literally just open it up and just let, let loose with whatever comes out of your head. And because it's first thing in the morning, and ideally you do this before you've interacted with social media or snapped on the radio or, you know, kind of gotten organized into your day, the, the idea is stuff just comes right out of the unconscious. And this is absolutely true. That is exactly what happens. Mm. Did you do it this morning? I did. What, what, what came out of your subconscious this morning? Um, a lot of stuff, you're still able to remember your dreams then. Mm -hmm. So like I sometimes end up writing about dreams or things that come out of my dreams. And actually, since you're asking, you were in my dream last night. Whoa. Was you I? You were doing the podcast. Whoa. In a car. 
And you did the whole podcast, and you hadn't let me talk the whole time. <laughs> and I was really angry. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's... So anyway, let's talk yeah. about me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So maybe that's why I got so, you know, insistent about you, me saying my own name. You can't blame people for things they do in your dream, Kate Feld. I don't know, Rob. I don't know. I'm still annoyed with you. Yeah. But, but words get stuck in my head in my dream, after my dreams, and sometimes whole stories come out of them. But other times, it's just, you might just be writing about the stuff you're worrying about, or you might just be writing words that you associate with each other. Um, it, it's kind of like automatic writing, which mm -hmm. is another technique I use a lot. Is that the too. free writing thing as well? Yeah, automatic yeah. writing is like, just you can do this at any time. And there's a guy called Thomas Lux, who's a poet, who has an exercise, if you Google it, I think it's called not so automatic automatic writing exercise and it's a kind of thing where you have to just write for 20 minutes you know just without stopping and you can write complete nonsense if you want that's okay but it's just free association stuff and amazing things come out of that yeah and so more ideas than actual writing though i would have thought well kind of ideas but if if you're writing poetry if i'm writing poetry or lyric essays for example um and I get on kind of a good a good headwind going with one of those. Um, some really good stuff can come out of it in terms of word associations and description. Because sometimes when you're going so fast, you won't come up with this kind of cliche word you would normally come up with if, you, if your conscious mind was engaged. And, and if you're just feeling lazy as well. Yeah. Will you come up with, it pulls it out of a different place. Mm. So you come up with some weird stuff that sometimes is startling and, you know, in a good way. I only suddenly realized I should probably have tried it. So then I'd have some sort of anecdote for this episode. Yeah, well, you should try it. I will it. try it now and then we'll, I'll report back. I have a feeling it'll just be me writing the same word over and over again like some psycho in you, a Stanley Kubrick You have film. to let go of caring at all what comes out of it that's yeah. the only time it's ever going to do you any good yeah i think we talked about that on the last podcast didn't we about giving yourself the right to write badly yeah yeah um the other thing that oh i just remembered this maybe this is why you had this dream about me there was a we're talking about the suffragette movement in the podcast and in my haste to try to describe what or I don't, for whatever reason, I just thought I would uh, talk about the suffragette movement like I knew what I was talking about, and it ended up mansplaining Rosie? to Rosie. Yeah. Oh, Rob, yeah, so listen that was for good. That. Yeah. Mansplaining to Rosie about mm. the suffragettes. I don't think, I think she would, it was, I wouldn't say it's as far as bad as that, but uh, it was just me trying to figure out in my own head and saying the words, <laughs> and realize halfway through, oh, I've got Rosie Garland here, who is, does, is like, a time-traveling tra suffragette. Yes. And I'm talking about the suffragette movement, which I thought. And then I, halfway through, I thought it was hilarious. I started laughing at myself. Well, that's good. See, mm. you're ahead of the game then. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You can't sit there with your head uh, leaning on your hand and let so, me keep talking, Kate Feld. You have to say something now. Um, yeah, sorry. I'm tired. That's I fine. just got a little tired there. Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> I also, the other thing that obviously comes up in the interview is uh, being a goth, because she's a bit gothic. And you said you are a bit goth. 
sitting well, there in your business I, suit. I was, I was gothy. Um, I'll tell you a little story. Okay. So my first boyfriend in high school had a, gave me his Joy Division shirt to wear. No, that does not count as goth. And that was, I still have it. Mm-hmm. And he was also the first guy I'd ever seen who had dyed black hair. Whoa. And I was like, I didn't realize it was dyed because I was only 14 or something. I was like, why? how can his hair be so black? Mm-hmm. It's crazy. I suppose I should say before yeah. you do continue that yeah. the reason we're talking about this is because if you know Rosie. Rosie is like the supreme goth yes. of all creation. Yeah, she, she, she actually has, a, a, what is the Lugosi? Uh, the, Rosie Lugosi, the vampire Ro- queen. That's right. Yeah, That's her on. alter ego. And for many years, she performed as Rosie Lugosi and did was on the cabaret circuit. That's right. Um, and also, of course, is a singer in the March Violets. That's right. The goth band. Yeah. Um, so anyway, this boy with black hair. Yeah, so no. And then I dated this guy who had a hearse with a Bauhaus cover painted on the hood of the hearse. Whoa. And used to put um, his top five songs in the back window of the hearse every week, mm-hmm. like a countdown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And Whoa. Yeah, I went to... Next level. He worked at Video King, and I had a crush on him for a long time. And so I decided, <laughs> like, it wasn't getting anywhere. So I had to go to the mall and buy a Bauhaus t-shirt, go into Video King with this shirt on, go find a copy of Harold and Maude, and take it up to the rental desk and be like, hey, wow, I'd like to rent this. Yeah. And then finally, And then I'd like to rent you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and it worked. Brilliant. It worked. I, uh, my plumber was a goth in Nottingham. I don't know if I can't remember if I talked about this with Rosie or not, but um, I it, I got a lot of mileage out of him because I had a I wrote a column for the paper in Nottingham and I was my boiler blew up and I called that called the Gothic plumber that's actually his name and he shows up and he's in the makeup the, the, the Gothic lo- plumber yeah that's Tony awesome. Napleton wow he's brilliant anyway only like, in England does this shit happen yeah and yeah. more so in Nottingham. Yeah, Nottingham's famous for goths. Yeah, apparently. loads of goths. He, drew, he used to drive a hearse uh, as his how to get he get yeah. between jobs. And he had to stop because he was driving along the road and the brakes went and he smashed his hearse into his own house. He smashed the hearse into the house. Yeah, that's a big uh, of a goth thing to do. Yeah, I guess. Sounds like a poem or a song lyric. Yeah, drove was, the hearse into the house. Yeah, I made him a bit famous actually. Because he got on BBC because of my column. Because of your column. Hey, I heard your column's making a comeback. Oh, this, see, that's brilliant. <laughs> it's, almost like I, it's almost like I prompted you. Yes, it's the left lion. If you're not from Nottingham, which and I'm not sure many people from Nottingham actually listen to this. That's where I used to live and I had to call. The left lion is doing a hundredth, epi- uh, hundredth, not episode. I've been doing issue. a podcast for too long. Issue. Yeah, issue. And I had a column in there called The Canadian New Baseford where... I would basically slate Britain, and they asked me to do one, a special one for this, and I do. And so. it's going to be all about Jacob Rees-Mogg. Oh, I can't wait to read it. Yeah, I do. What you know? Spoiler alert! I take the piss out of Ramsbottom a little bit. What? Yeah. Don't lump us in with him. No, I don't Ew. lump you in with him. But I, it just, it's not my fault. You live in a town that has a funny name that just lends itself to the page. <sighs> basically, I just said. You know what, I'm at me. Okay, I'll, <laughs> I, I'll I did have to, to warn you, though. Yeah. I'll wait to read it, Rob. Yeah, All right. I said Duly basically noted. my whole point was when, you know, people at the bottom and people at the top agree on something, 
that something is horrible. They should never agree. And this is that, like Brexit, where it's, you know, yeah. the people you know, that push brooms and the people that went to Eton on the same side. I push brooms. Do you? What, are you yeah. a curler? <laughs> no. We can't talk about the Winter Olympics again. No, we, we can't. We're actually forbidden from What are you talking, talking about, about pushing brooms? Well, I, I sweep my kitchen floor. Oh, my God. This is the worst podcast episode <laughs> we've ever done, Kate Feld. <laughs> we can't. It would only be worse if we started talking about curling at length. We're not going to. That's, that ends this minute. Okay. Um, did you... I have this question down because I knew you were a goth. Do you, did you ever flirt with being a fringe human of any other kind? Well, I am a fringe human. I'm bisexual. Yeah. Does that count? Well, I think so. Is it kind of, it's not, I mean, it's not like a movement, human. What does it? that mean? Like, I don't know. I, it's, it's something I made up on the Yeah, hoof. fringe human makes me nervous. Okay. Like, but I am a deviant in that way, I suppose. Yeah. I deviate from the norm. Yeah, right? I suppose, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm an immigrant, and so are you. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I meant more like something like a... Some, something like a goth, but not a goth. What, like a part of a subculture? Yeah, subculture. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. Okay. No, I'm the kind of person who likes to just flirt with lots of different subcultures in a right. kind of like dressing up fashion. So when I said I was a bit of a goth, I meant like I can do goth yeah. is one of my things, but like it's not my, I don't live like a goth. I don't think I could be a goth. I don't think short dudes can be goths. Anyone can be a goth. Yeah, but you know, eyeliner and black lipstick only look good on a dude if they're tall and if it's a, if it's a short guy it's like who brought the mime <laughs> that's not what I would be thinking Rob. but uh you know I think yeah no I I don't think I've ever been part of a subculture apart from being a writer which feels like you know weird like kind of I, it's only weird because we there's no money in it yeah it's kind of I don't know and it's hopeless it's hopeless and pathetic. Yeah. In yeah. See, look, I'm being the curmudgeon. Curmudgeon, good. Yeah. I uh, I can't bring myself to even call my like calling yourself a writer is, is such it's a, so it's just it's innately pretentious, isn't it? I don't think it's innately pretentious. To me, it says that you're doing something with seriousness. If you call yourself a writer, particularly if you're getting published, yeah. Then okay, you're a writer. You know, yeah. it, it, do you derive? Some of your income from writing? No. From teaching writing? Nope. Okay, see, I do. So yeah. I've okay, been so able you're to call myself a writer, writer for a long time. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Wow. You are the curmudgeon today. Yeah, that's right. I'm you're, legitimate. Do you you're know, not. Do you know what the other... <laughs> do you know what? Rosie said the one thing that you have to be, you have to not be as a writer is mean. And you're being mean. You're mean. Me? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm but she being said mean the, today but she said, because I'm acting in a manner that is unlike my normal disposition, just for effect. Oh, see, that's even worse. Yeah, I'm, I'm mean and fake. Yeah, mean poser. Right? Um, yeah. Do you know what happened to me today? I, don't, I forgot to tell you. You know what else happened to me today? What? I got a, a spam phone call saying from HMRC saying I was getting sued. Well, it's obviously fake. I know. Right? I call, and then I Google it, and it says, yes, they target the elderly. <laughs> so, adding insult to injury yeah thanks for that HMRC even if it's true they it's not say HMRC that. it's like some horrific scammer yeah. in like Croatia or something it, and I never ever answered my phone because like who talks on the phone anymore 
So whenever it rings, I just block whoever it is. Almost always. Especially if it's an O2 number. Yeah, do you use your landline? Like No, not yeah. ever. I don't talk on the phone at all. Yeah, I kind of miss landlines. Oh, God, no. I don't. Yeah. Hey, is that, what's that? Is that for coming from outside? Yeah, it is. This is the joy of recording at uh, in a university classroom. What is that? You I'm talk, just checking out my Fitbit. Is that how many steps here? Yeah, 14,382. I can't deal with that. You're not a goth. No goth has a Fitbit. Well, they might have a black one. Yours isn't. It's, well, yours is purple. It's purple. It's pretty gothy. Yeah, I don't think so. But get counting some your skulls on it or something. <laughs> yeah. Um, right. Is that enough? We don't have to talk too much today because I think the Rosie interview is longer than usual because I was quite enjoying myself and enjoying what she was saying. And why wouldn't you? Because yeah. Rosie is a wonderful human being in every way. Yeah. Yep. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Well, uh, I've got an event to mention. Oh, yeah. Can, do yeah. that now because no one, now? Is, no one listens at the end anyway. Okay, okay. So the real story, which, which I run, is doing a really big event where we're commissioning five amazing writers to make some new nonfiction for performance. Mm -hmm. So these writers will be performing at the King's Arms on the 17th of May, and their names are Rachel Jen, Maria Fusco, Joanna Walsh, I know her. Dimitri Zidou, and Maylan Tan. I know and they are well. all amazing writers. Mm -hmm. So we're super stoked to be able to, to do this. Um, tickets are on sale via ctickets.com. You can check out everything on our Twitter feed at RealStoryUK or just go to our website, The Real Story. It's pretty easy to find. Yeah. I, and it's in Salford. It's in Salford. Any excuse Arms. to go to Salford. Yep. I, I jump on Thursday I the seventeenth. I think t it's tickets are five or three pounds. It's very reasonable. Right, depending on your disability. Yep. Uh, or sh if you're a student. Oh or yeah. Unemployed, you know. Um, yeah, it should be good fun. I'm really looking forward cool. to it. Cool. It's part of the Not Quite Light Weekend. Okay. Which What's is that? a it's a new festival of sort of art, ideas, photography, all happening around Salford over that weekend, so check mm. that out too. That should be cool. Yeah, very cool. Well, that's going to be enough for us, and now it's going to be Rosie Garland. So listen. What was that? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that we were going to talk about that. Yeah, so it's out in the world. It is. Um, I can't even... I know it's still really exciting. Do I ever want it to stop being exciting? No. Yeah. Do I ever want to become one of these people that says, oh, yes, well, you know, it's like my, my latest novel's out and I suppose people are going to just... It's going to be so tedious, all those book launches and being on the Sunday Times. No, I'm not bored of any of that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never want to be, actually. So, no, yeah. that's good. That's really nice to hear. Well, I mean, for heaven's sake, it's like it's taken me so so many years to get to a point where I actually have people now say they have favourites I've got enough novels out for people to have chosen favourites and to be there after X years of nada, niente and nothing mm. yeah that's pretty 
fantastic yep. aspect. Yeah. yeah. How did you get through the nada, niente, nothing years? Do you know, I, I talk about it as an anecdote of, you know, I, I do that off-the-cuff thing of it took me 12 years, three agents, four and a half novels, and nothing. Um, and that kind of makes it sound a lot less daunting than it was. It was actually really depressing. I might as well come out and proud right now and say that I'm somebody who lives with periodic depression. And I, during those 12 years of three agents and four and a half novels and, you know, blah, 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 um, it was really, really hard to keep going. And I, it was a mixture of, I think, bloody-mindedness, which I really think writers have got to have in copious quantities, unless Daddy works for Penguin. Mm -hmm. But then again, people like that don't have to try anyway. Correct. But, you know, if you're somebody like me who doesn't have, you know, privilege and lives in the north of England, and blah, 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 mm -hmm. and anyway, whatever it was, mm -hmm. it wasn't working. You've got to have bloody-mindedness and determination, and almost... I almost sort of like had this cartoon of myself in my head of this kind of kid with her hair in very tight pigtails with her arms crossed and frowning and going, I'm going to do this even if you say I can't, <laughs> you know, with that, you know, yeah. like a St. Trinian's kind of school. Pippi Longstocking. Yeah, that kind of thing. Well, whatever it takes, just, I just kept going. Mm. So... I, I, I'm so interesting that we've started talking about that because this is something that, that I make a point of asking. This is basically the whole point of this podcast. I have people come on and mm. talk about their books and you know the process of writing and stuff like that, which is great. It's great because we're kind of there by the time we talk. That's to right. You. Yeah. But I really like the crass, you know, how do you survive as a writer mm. kind of talk as well. Because um, that doesn't go away. No. Um, I don't know about you or anyone else you've ever spoken to. Sorry, I'm, I'm really good at interrupting as well. Please do. But um, it's it, the idea that because I've now got three, three, I tell you, three, count them, three uh, novels. <laughs> How many? Three, actually, uh, published. It doesn't mean that my internal critic still doesn't, like, kick my ass on a... It also doesn't mean that there's a guaranteed four. Hello? You know, even if I write a fourth, which I'm kind of... Mm -hmm. That's another question. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean it's going to get picked I'm up. I'm asking that mean, question, okay, by Okay, right, right, yeah, we'll talk about that later. But yeah, any of that, any of the above. So I guess what I do now is I just, I just feel in, immensely happy when I can, and I try really well to do that, that I've actually now got three more novels published than I ever thought I would do. Mm -hmm. so, and that's great. And um, on days when I feel I can't write, and believe me, recovering from this flu, writing has been kind of impossible. It's just like, I'm sorry, there's nothing there. My brain is now officially comprised of custard. And I just, have to, and I just trust that it'll come back, because it has come back in the past. Yeah, has it come back yet? What, since I've had flu? Yeah. No. Yeah. I'm doing morning pages, and I do them even when I've got nothing to say. Great. Is there... Do you find that it's the days that you have nothing to say or the days you have loads to say where you write better? I have so many judgments about words like better <laughs> that I tend to... Okay. I just leave More it. interesting to you. Um, well, you know, I have days when I write stuff that's incredibly interesting and I find that that's a bit of a 
um, that's a bit of a pothole that I can easily trip into because mm. then when I have, if I have a, if I have like a run of three days, for example, when I feel I'm writing interesting stuff and wow, I could actually do something with this and that's an interesting turn of phrase and go me, um, <laughs> and then I'll write. And there's a that voice of, that goes, shut up, get over yourself. Well, she's always there. Yeah. Uh, but then I'll write a couple of days of not very interesting, kind of sludgy, blah, 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 blah. And so what I try to learn and try to remember is that though it's just writing and that days that aren't interesting don't mean I've stopped being able to write and days that are interesting doesn't mean that I'm kind of anything other than somebody who's just picking mm -hmm. up a pen and writing every yeah. day. Yeah, someone said something to me once that said, um, it's very similar to, I think, that 12-step program, in that they said you should give yourself the right to write badly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and that kind of changed my life, really, because, yeah. you know, you spend your time, especially if you're writing, you know, things for whatever, newspapers or, you know, magazines and stuff, you, you just think it's got to be good immediately. Oh, that's and, yeah, yeah. Whereas, and yeah. I think when you start writing a novel, you kind of think that way. The first one, especially the first time you write a novel, you think this is rubbish, and then that's why everyone quits, rather than just keep going. Yeah. I mean, yeah, my first novel wasn't brilliant, mm. um, but it was a first novel, so I can kind of let myself off the hook. I was yeah. learning a lot about how to write a novel by yeah. writing it, and no, it's not published. No, it's never going to be. Right. It was yeah. a first novel. I, I feel, isn't, isn't hindsight a marvellous thing? Um, because I wrote four and a half novels before anyone wanted to publish any of my writing. Um, and the first one... Wow. Oh, and it's that thing about... Um, so those four and a half novels were kind of written away from anyone looking at them. I'm putting on a shelf somewhere. Yeah, and also they were so they were kind of apprentice novels, but I was able to do this apprenticeship kind of in secret mm -hmm. without people pointing and going, "Well, look at that nonsense." So the first mm -hmm. novel was meh. It was a first novel. It was it had chapters. It had a plot. Mm -hmm. The second novel I wrote was appalling. Seriously, it was truly awful. It was so much worse than the first one. Oh, Part of me God. really wants to say, what was it about? But oh, you don't want to talk heavens. about it. Yeah. I, I, Hells, bells. It was, a, <laughs> it was I, th I think I'd read Cloud Atlas and been very, very impressed. Yes. And thought, ooh, goody, let's write something with at least four time periods, yeah. all of which are completely different to the other one. Mm -hmm. and, and the linking device I had really wasn't very interesting. And mm. that's really not good in a novel to have mm -hmm. a boring linking device. Yeah, between, terrible. Within. So it was awful. It stank. Mm -hmm. And and one of the one of the things that does make me break out in a cold sweat at night sometimes, I think, just say because there was a small press that was interested in my first novel. It never came to anything, but blah. Thank God. Thank you. That was my next sentence because let's because let's face it, you get one crack mm -hmm. at a first novel. Let's say in some parallel universe, this not terribly good but not absolutely stinky mm -hmm. first novel of mine had got published by this small press, and then I'd produce this leviathan-like bucket of rubbish as my second novel, I would quite rightly have sunk without trace. Whereas what I did get was four and a half novels to 
hone my craft, go on loads and loads of courses, learn, 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 mm -hmm. take in. I'm, almost, I'm learning something new every day. Mm -hmm. But I had the opportunity to just write my heart out. And although it was bleeding difficult keeping going, by the time I'd got to the fourth one, which was The Palace of Curiosities, which ended up being my first published novel, um, I think I'd learned a couple of things. Well, I should hope so. Well, four yeah. novels in. Four novels in. You mm. should, really, shouldn't yeah. you? So it's funny. I mean, I bet it's a question you ask a lot of the writers you have, like, okay, so this X is your first published novel, mm -hmm. but what is that your first written novel? Do you know, I never ask that. Um, because I, I say never ask that. I ask that, I think, the first few times. And they looked at me like I was crazy and said, oh, this is, this is my first well, novel. Oh, good for them. Yeah, I know. Good I, for them. Yeah. Yeah, I, but I, I don't know. It, all I'm saying is this is what happened for me. Yeah. And, ev and each writer I speak to has had a different way in, different way out, different way around the garden. And that's kind of the thing that's interesting. Yeah. The fact that we all have this really... Which means that there isn't... That that's what, again, keeps me hopeful, is that there's no standard... There's no template. Yeah. And I don't like templates and moulds anyway, and you've probably mm -hmm. spotted that from yes. what I Everything. write about. Yes. <laughs> I think that's a don't fair assumption. Them. Yeah. Don't trust them at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is there anything from those morning pages that you write that finds their way into your novels? Yeah, sometimes. How about the night brother? So yes and no. Um, I'll sometimes start writing my morning pages and then I'll just keep going. Right, so no is the answer. Um there will be uh, bits from but morning pages, yeah. like, you know, um, I've got my notebook with me now that I'm on at the moment. I, I have this thing about A4 notebooks with spiral bound things. So I can mm -hmm. it. And I will just always carry one around with me. And because I like to work with pen and paper, I like the visceral so do I. energy yeah. of writing on a piece of paper and drawing arrows and crossing yeah. things out. And I find that I can... Be, I can free myself up so I'll often start with morning pages and I might get an idea for example some a conversation or a scene that maybe ended up many 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 edits later in the night brother it may have come out of something I was just writing on a train yeah. for my morning pages mm. yeah so it won't be the finished thing but yeah. it's sometimes really interesting to go back over my notebooks and think wow yeah I, I remember sitting in the garden and writing that scene yeah um, Night Brother. Yes. Let's talk about that book. Let's try. Yes. Where did the, the idea come from, and how much can we talk about without giving it away? Oh, that's a good one. Let's see what we can do. Because mm. um, I... it's, it's quite difficult with your book to talk about, because there I don't know how much spoilers. I can there say. There are some major spoilers mm. in it, and, and um, I've, I have managed to talk about it without revealing any spoilers. Um, I guess it comes from a lot of stuff that's in my head a lot. All of my novels start with a question, um, you know, that kind of like, what would it be like if, and kind of spiral out from that. Um, and I guess Night Brother started from this idea of like, well, what makes us us? And sure, that's a theme that was in Palace of Curiosities in terms of like um, those themes about, well, what does make us human? Where does the kind of dividing line between what is seen as human and what is seen as monstrous, where is that dividing line? And who are the monsters and who are the humans? Um, and um, 
I guess Knight Brother kind of picks up those themes. Um, but it didn't start the way it finished, not surprisingly. Um, you know, I think the very, very first time, I, I, again, I was just sitting in a library and thinking, and I had this kernel of an idea in my head about a relationship between a, a girl and her grandmother. Oh, so it started there, did it? it? Bizarrely, it started oh, with a girl and her supportive right. grandmother who was trying to help her cope with family secrets. And obviously the night and the Knight Brothers gone a great distance away from that. Yeah, but there the is still that kernel of mm-hmm. family secrets that are seen as shameful yeah. and growing up with the idea of there's this looming family secret that your mum won't talk about but is there all of the time. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, your grandmother is maybe a little bit ineffectual. She wants mm. to kind of have a quiet life and keep everybody happy. Yeah. Not only, it's not just mum won't talk about it, but mum is very anti Yeah, and she's think, she thinks, she, she says that this family secret is desperately shameful, mm-hmm. and Edie and her brother, Herbert, or Gnome, as he prefers to be called, um, they've got very different attitudes to it. Edie grows up with this idea that she's done something wrong although she doesn't know what it is she has this sense that she is somehow carrying this family shame and Gnome's attitude is that like yeah okay so I'm carrying the family shame but I don't care and so there's again the the different way that we cope if we grow up in families where you know kids listen at the door Mm-hmm. because they can hear people whispering about things that they only half overhear. Yeah. And I think that's a kind of universal feeling. Of, Definitely. Of growing up with this feeling that something's not quite right. Yeah, I like. I really like the idea of the idea that there's something not quite right and then finding out that, not that it's not quite right, but that it's, uh, that their fears are legitimate yes. rather than, you know, it's it, the boogeyman. Yeah. This, you know, you know there's something actually, wrong and then you're like, oh, actually... Because I actually think that the secrets that families keep, and they are many and varied, are far more terrifying than the boogeyman. Totally. Because the boogeyman, it's almost like what's left over to be afraid of if Mm -hmm. you haven't actually got anything to be afraid of. Yeah. Whereas the things that happen in families are pretty scary. Yeah, to say the least. I mean, you know, I I didn't grow up with any of the stuff that was going on in The Night Brother, clearly. (laughs) But, you know, I I did... Has anyone? Has anyone? Who knows? Mm. The answer's a postcard. But, you know, I grew up with the idea that there were things that weren't talked about. Yeah. Uncle Jack's an alcoholic or... Well, um, it's like, for me, my father wouldn't talk about his childhood... Um, I understand now why. I mean, he grew up in poverty. Mm-hmm. And for him, it wasn't a sense of shame of talking about it. But his attitude is, who would want to talk about growing up in poverty? It wasn't fun. So no. why would I want... He came from a generation where, why would I want to revive something that was incredibly painful by talking mm-hmm. about it? Well, it's funny that you know? he, he did that, because I think the other way to deal with that, especially with the generations past is to talk about how great it was. Oh, we, we wanted for nothing ever. And, you know, we <clears throat> we got we played games and, you know, we, we did all these other things yeah. that, you know, all these other these other rich kids, they just don't understand. No, so there was... A, so I do remember growing up with family silences. Mm, gosh. And, and how heavy and weighty a family silence can feel. Mm. Mm. Yeah. And yeah. so I guess... The, and I try to put the empathy I, and the memories I have and then 
you know, think about how I can then empathise and think about how people fictionally might feel about something that's completely different. Because the feeling of like family silence, it doesn't matter what the silence is about, but the feeling attached to that silence, I think, is a universal feeling. Mm. Yeah, cold. Yeah, and I felt that about Eve in The Palace of Curiosities. I mean, like, I don't think anybody reading it is somebody who suffers from hypertrichosis. <laughs> but the idea of how she feels physically and visibly different to everyone around her. I talk to a lot of people who feel that, like, you know, everyone's staring at them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's one of the reasons why I write in first person. If I ever come up with a character who wants to be written in third person... That's great, but it's this idea of I don't... I want my people, the characters I create, to speak for themselves, particularly as a lot of them are different. Not all of them, but quite a lot of my characters are physically or emotionally or um, strangely different in one way or the other. Mm -hmm. And I'm fed up of reading novels and stories in which people who aren't supposedly normative get filtered through the eyes of a normalising interviewer. Mm -hmm. I mean, a classic example, Anne Rice, Interview with the Vampire, Mm -hmm. which says it all. The interviewer is the human. He interviews the vampire, so he filters what the vampire says. Mm -hmm. You can't possibly have the vampire telling their own story. And it's like, well, why not? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I don't want, you know, it's like I want them to tell their own stories. And I was told that was a rule of fiction you weren't supposed to break. That if you have somebody not normal or somebody different in your novel, then it must be written in third person because the reader won't be able to cope. Really? That's interesting. Yeah, and rubbish. Yeah. Very rubbish. I don't want to comfort the normal. No. I don't want to write stories that make the normal, whoever they are, feel comforted. No. I mean, how boring. Yeah. You want, if at the very least, take someone out of their comfort zone. Isn't that kind of... Or just show that there's no such thing as a comfort zone. Yeah, or or normal. Yeah, or there is no such thing as normal. I Mm. actually genuinely don't think there's any such thing as normal. I can remember Stella Duffy once saying to me, she said, the feeling that you don't fit is completely universal. Everyone you ever meet will at some point have felt that they didn't fit. Do you think? Well, you think the jock in the cheerleader? St- well, maybe, uh, yeah. And so I guess I, I went with what she was saying because I thought, well, I think if there are people is, who fit very well into this world that we well, have. I wonder because it's like... If everyone or a large proportion of people at some point have felt that they didn't fit and that their attempts to fit chafed and ground mm-hmm. and scraped, yeah. then if everyone feels like that, then it, it just proves that this mould and template, this normal we've been offered, is absolute nonsense. Because mm-hmm. if nobody fits it, then it doesn't exist. Yeah. It's just a thing that we're being told. Well, you know, well, if you buy this new smart smartphone and if you date on our dating app and mm-hmm. if you um, you know, have a boob job this big, then yeah. and and if you are a man and have mm-hmm. a beard and a pigtail yeah. and, and drink <laughs> Vietnamese coffee, then um then This is what I mean though, you're describing people I think who do fit 
But I wonder, I, I don't know, maybe it's just because I sit and think, do you actually genuinely feel that you fit this or are mm. you so desperately trying yeah. to make yourself fit this mould because you've been, you believe, you believe the lie that yeah. it's going to make you happy. I wonder I if, wonder. I, I don't think know. It's, it's interesting. The kind of, it's the kind I of think stuff I lie awake at four o'clock in the me morning too. and think about. But I think, that's, I think that's quite a positive way to look at it where you just think well everybody must have questions whereas I'm the negative guy who just thinks there's just idiots who think this world is great and everything that around them everything revolves around them and well, uh, those you know they, I think who get real joy out of buying a sports car I think there just are yeah. there, those people do I, exist I haven't they? grown up with that kind of privilege no, me neither and didn't grow up with that kind of money and didn't grow up with that but that's the thing I wonder if it's the people who didn't grow up with that money who got it who find joy in it more uh -huh. than I don't know I have no idea because if you look at you know I just think trying to be normal very very hard just makes people quite miserable yeah it seems to make it doesn't seem to make people happy mm -hmm. and and I just think well why just and do something else mm -hmm. then. Yeah. If this isn't making it, it seems to make people quite depressed mm -hmm. and quite mean. Yeah. And again, to paraphrase the wonderful Kate Bornstein, do what you need to do and love who you need to do, love who you need to love in this world to get through. Just don't be mean. Mm. I, that's very good advice. Yeah. It's, I think it's probably advice I struggle with. I don't want to be mean, but sometimes I just like when you see something like uh, Donald Trump, for instance. I think I could easily be mean and there's beat that guy to within an inch of his life. There's a difference between mean and angry, right? I mm. honestly think that there's a difference between mean and angry. Yeah. I think anger is very important, right? And, and mean is and bullying. Mean is yeah, mean right. is okay. yeah. Mean is being horrible to people, and that's different to being angry about a political situation or angry about injustice. Yeah. Okay. Personally. Yeah, I think that probably makes sense. But again, I, I try to explore what anger does to people mm -hmm. and what meanness and shame does to people in things like The Night Brother, because you've got a character like Gnome who's desperately hanging on to what he thinks will make him happy. Um, he has some quite skewed ideas of what makes a real man. Mm -hmm. And he kind of, in it's really almost like very childlike and quite sad way, tries to hang on to them because he thinks, well, I'm going to be a real man. And he just ends up... And he doesn't up, know any better. And he doesn't know any better. So it's, you know, and it's like, and I actually really feel for him. I do try, mm -hmm. I do try to, you know, even well, if I have characters who, uh, yeah, I, I honestly think that, you know, Gnome's path to, do you call it redemption? I don't know, but learning some tough lessons. <laughs> it's like, um, I, th I think people... My personal belief is that people and characters in books um, have a chance to get better, especially the rubbish ones. Mm -hmm. I don't like to create characters who are purely polarised, evil. evil over there, evil, nasty, 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 mm -hmm. or... Good, good, good. You know, because mm -hmm. Edie's no saint. She does some really mean, yeah. selfish things. Yeah, to say and you least. can say it's because she's frustrated and she feels that she's had a tough time. But she's she's selfish too. Mm. They both make a real mess of it. Yeah. 
Um, there was another question I was going to yeah. ask you, but I, I'm not sure if I can without it giving away things. You but can have a go. Let's ask it, and then if, if we just say we this is giving away too much, then we'll edit it out. It's yeah. a podcast. Okay. How interesting, how interested were you in transgender people and, and the idea of it? Because that seems to be something in this book. Yeah, see, it gives away, doesn't it? I'm interested in people. And that would be a bit like saying in... Um, Palace of Curiosities, I was interested in people who are covered in hair. And yeah. yes, I was. Yeah. But it's that's not really why I wanted to write either. It just story. seems to be something. Yeah, okay, right. It um, just seems to be kind of, uh, this book seems to be coming up at just the right time, really. My agent it, said that. Yeah. And that wasn't why I wrote it. Mm. I wrote it because these are the questions that go around in my head. Um, and I'm not, okay. I'm not one for binaries. As you can tell, I'm not one for like, well, pink for girls and blue for boys. I'm not one for, you know, I grew up, when I was growing up, I knew I was different. And that was for a great many reasons. Like I I was a tomboy, but I was a girl. Mm -hmm. And that didn't make me feel well because I'm a tomboy. That means I ought to be a boy. No, it just meant that I was a girl who didn't want to do some of the things that girls were being told they had to do. Right. But it didn't mean I was a boy. I I didn't see why I should then go and be a boy because I had short hair and wanted to do things that weren't about, I don't know, playing with dolls Mm. all the time. Um, so I've never really felt... But at the same time, there are, there never, are people who do... Who and if they yeah. do, then that's fine. Again, a hundred different writers, a hundred different mm-hmm. stories, a hundred different people, a hundred different ways through this. Mm-hmm. But I guess um, I, I feel really encouraged when sort of like I'm talking to people who say like, well, you know, why should we fit these two... One of the lines in The Night Brother is about the idea that... Um, You've got the two poles of the Earth. You've got the North, Sol- North Pole and the South Pole. And, and if you see those poles as the, you know, the idea of that's man and that's woman, one at the North and one at the South, they're both absolutely lifeless. They're howling <laughs> deserts of ice and snow. I think you'll find... Some people live there quite happily. Well, I... I, <laughs> I'm only joking. Yeah, because it's like, for me, it's like, it's like if, if these absolute polarities of, let's say, for example, male and female, just like howling deserts of ice and snow, who would want to live there? Mm. When you think of everything else that goes on yeah. in between those poles, lush jungles, the yeah. tundra, the taiga, oceans, yep. you know, everything else that's fabulous goes on in between. And oceans don't worry that they're not mountains. Yeah. Yeah. Valleys don't get really bent out of shape because they're not jungles. Mm-hmm. Yeah, things just get on with what they are. Yeah. Um, the other thing I want to talk about quickly mm. is um, the suffragette movement. Yeah. It plays a big part in The Night Brother. And you're also... You've got a show. You're a time traveling. Yeah, I like, I like doing lots of different things. Yeah, I, I think I've that's a, that is probably the biggest understatement that's ever been said on this podcast. Oh I, wow! I like to do lots of different things. You pro- like the word polymath? I think Aww. doesn't even scratch the surface when it comes to you because you do everything. I like doing different things. Yeah. yeah. So the the suffragette thing. Yeah, I... Um, the suffragette thing. What a horrible a thing. Couple, I don't mean to put it into a little, t- tiny oh, little ball and say, nice oh, the suffragette yes. thing. Yeah. 
<laughs> why, why don't you just mansplain yeah. the suffragette movement? Well, you know. Well, you know. So, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah um, I had this. I've, I've been wanting to do something musical with Music Hall um, for a long time now, and there's. And um, the amazing Rose Collis does this fabulous um, male impersonation thing called um, trouser-wearing characters, so I didn't want to just reboot that. And there are people doing kind of straight Mari Lloyd um, sort of acts. And, and I knew I wanted to do something, and I thought, well, what would it be like if, because there we go, the question, um, if a suffragette was to travel from 100 years ago with the songs that she had around mm -hmm. her, but that she'd want to actually change the words to reflect political things that suffragettes were struggling for. Mm -hmm. and, and I thought the idea of, um, I thought that, would, that was quite a good start. So I came up with musical songs, rewrote them, mm -hmm. and the whole, idea, the whole idea behind the time-travelling suffragettes is that, um, as we say to the audience, like we know that you won't understand what it was like for women a hundred years ago, because of course now you live in enlightened times mm. where women don't have to worry about being called horrible names when they walk down the street. They walk, they walk in the dark without fear of molestation, and they aren't Just about. they they aren't judged for their appearances mm. in the media. And so you know that whole idea, yeah, yeah. playing with that idea. Yeah. And, um, Do you think a suffragette that went forward in time to now would be happy with how things have turned out? I think she'd. They know they'd be happier than they than it was. Yeah, but they'd still say, "What you mean? You still yeah. put up with this?" And yeah. that's the whole idea behind the act. Right. Okay. Very cool. Um, I also wanted to talk about your because this podcast is not just about your writing. Yeah. But it's also about you and. Mm. I had a bit of a, um, what's the word, a moment when, because I've heard about your band, uh, the March Violets, mm -hmm. I've, heard, I've heard through people that, who are, you know, in the writing scene and stuff, and I, she's, oh, she's in this band called the March Violets, and I was like, that rings a bell, and I, in re researching this, you, for this podcast, I listened to your music, and realized I knew your band, because oh, wow. we, <laughs> it, it was... It was quite big, wasn't it? Yeah, in the eighties. Yeah. Um, and again, it's like we're, it's like there's absolutely no way I can lie about my age if I was in a band <laughs> in the early to mid eighties. Yeah. yeah, I was four. When yeah. I was in that band. But snake dance. I, yeah, yeah. I listened yeah. to that song and I went, I know track, that yeah. song. Yeah. And because I'd go to this, I, I think I mentioned in, in an earlier podcast, I'd go to this club called the Warehouse. Oh yeah, which was a oh in Leeds. No, 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 in oh. Canada. Back oh home. right, I was going to say, of course, you're yeah. not from Leeds. Are <laughs> yeah, you? clearly. Yeah. You know, the I can't tell you the temptation to do a Yorkshire accent now, but I won't. No, don't. <laughs> no, 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 it would be a bad, yes. bad idea. Terrible. Yeah. But anyway, so we they would play. It was basically, I'd say, a golf bar, but it wasn't. It was like a post golf bar kind of place, and they that was the kind of music I was into. And um, I'd heard of the Sisters of Mercy, and I think you have yeah, we some were in opinions the same, about that. No, we were in the same right. uh, on the same label for quite a long while right. because the Sisters set up Merciful Release. Oh, of course. Which I still think is the best name for a record label in the entire history of record labels. Yeah, Merciful Release. That's pretty good. And we were on our first three singles. Mm -hmm. We're on Merciful Release. Yeah. Yeah. So we were in the same stable, you could say. Yeah. 
So you were a bit famously. This is definitely the first rock star that's been on this oh, well, podcast. Yeah. Shall I toss my hair? Yes, very For good. For those of yeah. you listening in black and white, my <laughs> yeah. hair is purple, and I'm just tossing it gaily over my shoulder. Yeah. yeah. Does it? Does the kind of would you would you say it was a goth band? Would you say that you've got goth sensibilities? I or do you I, not I like think, that word? Yeah. Well, oh God, you know, I've had this discussion with so many people. I don't actually care what you call me, right. really. Mm. Um, and I think that almost every goth I know says I'm not a goth, and it's okay. <laughs> I don't care. You can call me a goth. You can call me what you like. You mm-hmm. can call me Nelly, but you know yeah, it's like just don't come late for dinner. That's what my mum would say. Anyway. Uh, but do you like what I'm producing? Yeah. We um, we formed in 1981 <laughs> so work it out on your fingers <laughs> and uh, we split up in 1986 mm-hmm. so I, I make that about five years and we reformed in 2007 all oh, right so it's still going then so actually we've got twice as we've had twice as long second time round whoa that's weird isn't and, it and, and a lot of that is because um, when we got back together again in 2007 it was three of the original four members myself Cy Denby and Tom Ashton mm-hmm. stunning Mm. Um, and we just had all these songs, new songs, and I think that's why it, you know, it didn't just peter out after. So, five is there going to be another album then? Yeah, well, we've produced another ah. album called Mortality, and one called uh, No, in fact, two albums, um, uh, Made Glorious, mm-hmm. and you know, if you go and check out March Violets mm-hmm. online, you will find. The Made Glorious album, I think it's still available. do you do all these things and find time in your day to do anything else? Uh, I mean, because you write poetry as well. Yes. Short stories. Yes. Novels. Yes. You do kind of, uh, is a cabaret the right? I suppose you could call the time-travelling suffragettes yeah. cabaret. I wear a big hat. Well, you also have a kind of a show, another show outside of that as well. I don't it? really do much Rosie Lugosi anymore. Right, okay. I mean, I really, really have enjoyed being... You know, Rosie goes to the Vampire Queen. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah. what, what's not? Why to not? Like? What's not to love? Like? Yeah. But you know, I do like to do new things, and I, I do like to keep changing. So I don't do as much at all of Rosie Lugosi and mm-hmm. the time traveling suffragettes is kind of filling that cabaret sl- spot. Yes. Um, and 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 yeah, I suppose I'm quite a good manager of my time. I think that must be a another understatement, really. And, but, but there's this thing, this life is so short, so just do it now, mm. rather than, oh no, I'll do that next year, because yeah. next year, who knows what's going to yeah. be around the corner, just do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's one of those where it's the, the pull of money and, you know, the idea that, you know, of having a, a vacation every year and having a car and a house and a, all that business. Car? Yeah. Vacation. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, I, I am as well as work. You know, what was it? Um, Eddie Cantor, I think, said it in the forties. The harder I work, the luckier I get, and I think that's quite a good one. Mm. The, the Romans had a version of it as well. Uh, Persit fortuna labori. May my good fortune match my hard work. And so I work really hard, and I have worked mm-hmm. really hard with my four and a half novels, twelve years, and blah. Um, I have worked really hard to get to a situation where I, for the last five years, I've been working full-time as a writer. Right. For the first time in my life. It wasn't a goal I was aiming for. 
it wasn't a dream I had even. I've mm -hmm. worked all my life as like teacher, worked for charities, uh, worked uh, you know various jobs because that's what I did. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's I think the, it, this is something I've kind of learned is that the day job is there to supplement yes the stuff that you that, really that, enjoy. That increasingly came true for me. It's like. Um, each year I worked, I would try to just up the balance, mm -hmm. try to get the balance of creativity. Because yeah. it, it became really clear to me when I was in my 20s that this writing, creativity thing wasn't just something I did when I was a carefree student. It was, it's, part, it's my life. Mm -hmm. So it's, hard work's important as long as it's something that it, you enjoy doing. Oh, gosh, gotcha. I'm not going to bang me head against I, I the know, wall. I think this yeah. is something that a lot of people don't get that they put all their hard work into their nine to five job and then everything else is a hobby, whereas I think it should be, you know. Well, I probably went through phases of that, like mm. particularly in my twenties where I just thought like, you know, the bands I was in or the music mm -hmm. I was doing was... was Again, those yeah. aren't day jobs, Rosie. <laughs> no, they aren't. No, no. Um, those are brilliant day yeah, jobs if they are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just kept... Kept, all I can keep saying is I just kept going mm -hmm. and I realised and the more I did writing and the more I did singing the more I realised this isn't just a passing phase this is what keeps me going this yeah. is my life this mm -hmm. is my heart yeah. and so then I did it more yeah. and then I did it more mm -hmm. and it was a process of taking slightly fewer hours in my day job and yep. just gradually trying to whittle down the number of hours I was working. Mm, I um, like that idea. And seeing if I could manage on the smaller amount of money and if I could manage on mm -hmm. the smaller amount of money, then trying to whittle the hours down a yeah. bit more. Um, really that's because like it meant that much to me. Yeah, that's but I, I think it's quite a sensible approach though as well. It's not you know throwing everything out and saying, I'm a writer now, before it's too early. Well, it wouldn't have worked for me because no. I wouldn't have been able to pay the rent. Exactly. And I'd have just felt <laughs> incredibly miserable. Yeah, yeah, totally. What are you writing now? Fun well, apart from the fact that I'm not writing anything because I'm recovering from flu. Yeah. Which is... <laughs> that you're slowly infecting kicking, me with. Thanks a lot. Kicking my ass a bit at the moment, but flu is no fun. No. Uh, when I am not uh, moaning about recovering from flu, I am just beginning to start work on a new novel. Mm, very exciting. Do you, can you give us an inkling even? Manchester. Right. It's telling me it wants to be in Manchester. Well, your last book was very, very Manchester. In fact, it's, I the, love first, it. it's the first book I've ever read where I was on the bus and I read a street name in the, in the book and I was on that street. Oh my God, how wonderful. Yeah, it, which was quite an amazing yeah, I, I am passionately in love with Manchester, and mm. um, this next one seems to be telling me it's going to be in Manchester. Present day, or are we oh, going God, back? Oh, God, no, no. Um, probably 1980s. Mm. Oh, very cool. So, historical. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> totally different world. Yeah. If you, it's this idea of, like, imagine a world without smartphones. I know. Or the internet. Yeah. I know people who write those novels because it, it's impossible, who write crime fiction... I think I can't remember who it was I spoke to. On oh book. God, I think I might have read that as well. Crime that, fiction set before the mobile phone. Because it's yeah. impossible to write any crime fiction anymore. Because loads of um, the questions that are brought up in crime fiction, you can just go, oh, I'll just Google that right now. <laughs> or well, you know, with all the apps and stuff. Yeah. But anyway, that sounds very good. 
I think that's all we have to talk about. Well, there you go. Thank you very much, Rosie. How absolutely lovely to talk with you. So that was Rosie Garland, and she was great, wasn't she? Um, see, because it is Rosie who's one of my favorite people, I can't be a curmudgeonly bitch. I have to just say, of course she was great. Yeah. Because she's Rosie. Yeah. Who else have we got coming on? We've got a couple of people coming on, I, but they're not set in stone yet. I never know whether I well, should... Well, if they're definitely not coming on, don't mention them. Oh, That's they are... a good one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Next, Stephen King. <laughs> yeah, so I will probably do an announcement on Twitter instead. I think that's wise. They need to be firmed up. I think that's wise. Yeah. I know one that's definitely coming on, but I can't tell you yet. Okay. Or you. Okay, so that's it. Bye. Bye.